This is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, June the 27th, 2023. June, of course, is uh, Pride Month, particularly here in San Francisco. The weekend was a huge party in San Francisco for people who have written the city off. I would suggest they come here for Pride Weekend. A great deal of energy and color, enthusiasm and optimism in the city. And on Keenan, we've been celebrating uh, Pride uh, Month with a number of memoirs by unusual, distinguished American uh, gay men and women of one kind or another. Uh, we did a show with R.K. Russell, the first American professional footballer to come out. Uh, he has a new book out, The Yards Between Us, a memoir of life, love and football. And another uh, last week with Christian Cooper, um, very distinguished American bird watcher. We all know the incident in uh, Central Park. He has a new biography out, uh, autobiography, Better Living Through Birding, Notes from a Black Man in the Natural World. As a gay American, uh, I'm not sure how central that is in Christian's memoir, but it's certainly um, important. And today we're continuing that theme with another very distinguished uh, American, uh, and a, a woman, uh, Luma Mufle. Many of you will be familiar with her TED speech at got almost 2 million views, and um, she has a new book out, uh, From Here. Uh, it's a memoir about being Muslim and gay and American, and she's joining us today from Virginia. Uh, Luma, happy uh, happy uh, uh, Pride Month. How are you? Good. Happy Pride. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, so, uh, Luma, before we talk about the uh, the memoir. Tell me a little bit about yourself, your your role at Fuji's and your life. It's quite a story. Yeah. Um, so I'm CEO and founder of the Fuji's family. It's not the hip hop group. We have nothing to do or affiliated with them. Um, it's an organization I founded back in 2004 to uh, help um, set refugees and immigrants on the right foot. Uh, it started off by accident. It was um I'm born and raised in the Middle East in Amman, Jordan. I came to the United States when I was 18. And then um, at 22, I applied and received political asylum. I'm gay um, and uh, you can get the death penalty in the Middle East for being gay. And so I knew I would not be able to remain living there. Um, so I'm gonna fast forward to 2004. I was on my way to a grocery store to pick up um, authentic pita bread and hummus, uh, made a wrong turn saw some kids playing uh, soccer in a parking lot in a rundown apartment complex. It reminded me of home, of the way I grew up playing soccer in the streets of uh, Amman with my brothers and cousins. Um, I'd been a volunteer coach at the time, had a soccer ball in my trunk, it, pulled it out. The boys ran to me. They wanted the ball. I wanted to play. We haggled. Uh, reluctantly, they left. And that's how it all started off coaching a group and then learned all the issues they were facing, um, trying to integrate into their new home. And I eventually started a school we run uh, and support schools nationwide to help support refugee and immigrant kids. We've done a number of shows also on uh, the situation with refugees. Uh, one with uh, the Irish writer Sally Hayden on 
the situation in the Mediterranean. Tell me a little bit more about what Fuji's does with uh, refugee children. So, so, you know, like come to the United States or to any country, they don't pick, pick what age they leave the war. Coming in have had no, they don't know the language. They're trying really hard to fit in, and the system's not set up to receive them well. And so, the model we've been, you know, creating and perfecting over the last 15 years is it's about creating a longer, wider welcome mat where kids are met where they are. So, if you're 12 or 13, you don't know the letters of the alphabet, that's what we're going to teach you. We're not going to throw you into Shakespeare or pre-algebra, you're going to learn the fundamentals and the foundational skills for you to succeed. Um, we also really believe in creating a space where kids feel safe and that they belong. And so we have a number of different ways we do that. Every to an academic cohort, every kid belongs to a soccer team as part of a house, which, uh, is maybe more familiar, uh, for, uh, listeners, um, and so those are social safety nets where the kids have community and social networks where they feel safe and they belong. And then we work with the adults to um, teach the kids, uh, meet them where they are, ra rapidly accelerate, uh, basically an athletic uh, approach of, of teaching and educating kids. You, uh, you also have a book, Learning America, One Woman's Fight for Educational Justice for Refugee Children. Tell me what from here does that the previous book didn't what what are you trying to 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 to, yeah. uh, to say in this this new memoir so i think um both books serve different purposes uh the first book learning america which is coming out as believe in them in the uk is um is is my work like so it starts off when i met the kids playing soccer and um wraps up like maybe from two years ago right and then from here is the prequel to that. So it's from when I was born and raised in the Middle East, what it was like growing up there, struggle with my identity. Um, and then it ends where that first book uh, picks up. And the reason I wrote both is um, from here is the book I wish I had when I started doing this work to understand how messy it was, how hard it was. Um, and, you know, just have a little bit of sense of humor about all of it as well. And then, um, you know, from here is the book I wish I had growing up, um, you know, growing up gay. If I was the only one in the world that was gay, um, I didn't know anyone else that was, and especially reconciling my faith and my sexual identity. And I know a lot of kids out there do, whether they're Muslim or not. And um, I want them to know that they're not alone and that it does get better. Uh, we did a show uh a year or two ago with Lamia H, who's still anonymous, Hijab Butch Blues, her own memoir as a, uh, a gay hijabi Muslim immigrant. So in some ways similar to you, she didn't reveal yourself. How How is your family? I, I'm not sure how many of them are still back in Jordan. How have they uh, responded to your work yeah. and uh, your honesty in terms of your sexual identity? You know, it, it's a mixed bag. Like when I first came out, to my parents back in 2022 in so long ago 1997 when i graduated um they disowned you went me. to smith right in, in northampton in massachusetts yep. yeah 
Um, and so they disowned me then and um, everyone in the family cut off ties. Um, you know, like I grew up affluent and everything was handed to me and that was all cut off as well. Um, I think the hardest thing is having no contact with anyone in the family. Um, Arab families are, are very core to your identity and it felt like all my limbs were cut off. Uh, the one person that stayed in contact was my grandmother. And so she would call regularly um, and check in on me. And then, you know, my parents and I, you know, found a, you know, a middle ground uh, seven years later. We tried to build it back up, you know, and then um, in 2011, I told them I was getting married. And then that was round two. Um, and then I think the process of writing this book uh, made me see things in a different perspective. And I think, you know, they also had ch grandchildren at this point. And I, I feel people, maybe at least my parents have become, uh, especially my dad, a softer, gentler version of himself. Um, so last summer, we all met up in Turkey, uh, first time in 26 years, all of us have been together. Um, and it was great. It was uh, good. Um, I think um, my dad more so than anyone else in the family is uncomfortable with how public I am about it. Um, and I've had to like remind myself it's not about him. It's about like I remember when I was in high school. I went to an American high school that was run by the State Department and I was in the library and I managed to uh, have a copy of Newsweek and in there uh, Martina Navratilova came out um, and I remember sobbing and crying thinking there's someone like me and she's a good tennis player and I think it's important to be out and visible and um and I think my dad will come to terms with it more. Um, he's proud of the work that I do um, with, with grants. And so uh, that part he's, he's a lot more comfortable with. We did a show uh, actually at the beginning of the month, the kickoff Pride Month with Abdi Nazimian, um, a gay uh, Iranian immigrant um, uh, who's also a popular uh, young adult writer, uh, only This Beautiful Moment is one of his books. Your new book is designed for a, for a younger reader. Is that fair? Are you focusing from here on a, on a young adult audience? Yeah, I think it's targeted towards, you know, kids 13, 14 and up. I do think adults will also get a lot out of it, but it's targeted to, to those who are struggling with identity, whatever identity it is. Um, and it's targeted towards families as well. Um, but it is to young adults, as opposed to my first book, which was more for adults. Yeah, it's astonishing the response of your family, I guess, astonishing for me. Um, was it th their unwillingness to tolerate you? Did they believe that, that it had been invented, that it wasn't in you? Did they blame America? Did they blame Smith College? Or did they blame you? Or did they did they make how, how did they make sense of it? And why did they choose to cut off relations for seven years? I mean, I, I think you know, like you grew up in a very conservative, conservative country, um, where it's it's a, it's a sin. Family is very Muslim. Um, you know, I think there's a reason why a lot of queer Muslims, you know, 
um, are anonymous when they write or they don't come out because of the fear of what could happen to them. Um, and I think my parents believed it, it was a sin. Um, I do believe they're progressive because I don't know of any other Arab Muslim families that accept their kids, their daughter, the way my parents now accept me. Um, and it took time. Um, and I believe, truly believe if they had lived in a different place, this wouldn't have happened where they were more exposed to other, other ideas and acceptance. But when you grow up in a place that is very black and white and where, you know, I mean, we still have honor killings. Like as of last year, you know, a woman's eyes were gouged out by her husband because he accused her of having an affair. You know, a father killed his daughter because she had gone out on a date and he killed her like in public on the street and then drank a cup of tea. You know, like I know people don't believe that stuff happens. It still happens and it still happens regularly. Um, and it's hard when you grow up with all of that around you and then your kid is something that you did not expect them to be or want them to be. Um, it just takes time. How did this affect you growing up? Um, we did a show last week with Bethan Patrick, who... Uh, has a new memoir out, Life Be Overcoming Double Depression, a book about her, the experience of depression in her life. What was the impact on your, your mental life? Did it make you stronger? Did it undermine you? Did it make you question who you were? I mean, I think, it made me, I think it made me stronger. You know, like at age 22, I was in a new country all alone um, and, and make a life for myself and like I was joking with my dad, he's like complaining about my brother one day, you know, he's like, he's always like, he can't do things on his own. He always needs help and support. I was like, cut him off. I was like, he'll learn how to do it on his own, you know? And it was a really hard time in my life, but I look back at it and it really shaped who I am. And I wouldn't have started the work that I did if I hadn't had that experience. Um, I wouldn't be able to build organizations from scratch. Um, it was, you know, it was like, in, in Buddhism, they, you believe that um, you need to suffer in order to experience enlightenment. And, and I, I believe that. I, I don't believe my suffering is, has ended, but I do believe that I needed to see the world from a different perspective and see how others lived and what it was like um, to not be fully accepted um, and loved. And then, you know, like by your parents who you think they've got you no matter what. Um, but I knew it was coming. Like I, I didn't expect anything else. Um, I think it's made me a better person, a more compassionate person and, and definitely a better parent. Tell me a little bit about being a parent. How old are your children? Uh, so I have three kids, uh, age nine, seven, and four, four and a half. He says he's four and a half. So two girls and a boy, Leila, Zena, and Yezen. Um, and you know, they just... It's like, uh, I remember when uh, Layla was born and I was rocking her to sleep one night when she, she was up in the middle of the night and, you know, like it hit me. It's like, there's nothing that she could do that would make me love her any less. You wait till they get older. She's nine. No, I'm joking. As a parent of older children, I said, yeah. wait till they get older. Till they get older. Yeah. I, I keep telling her, I was like, if you're not a fan of Chelsea, then maybe I might not. Uh, love 
what is Chelsea? Uh, Chelsea Soccer Clinton? team. Yeah, uh, no, what, no, Chelsea. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. a small, a small, t I haven't heard of them. Where are they from? Uh, um, Chelsea, they're in um, England. Um, they're one must of the London teams. Team. I haven't heard of them. I'm from England too, but they must be. Have you uh, heard of Chelsea? No. No. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about your uh, experience of America. As I said, your your book is called uh, another. Your your previous book is called Learning America. Yep. You come to America. You come to Smith College. Um, mm. What is your? I know this is a rather big question, um, uh, Luma. But what's your sense of America? I mean, it's su it's such an odd country. Mm. It's so many questions. So much paradox. Yeah. Later today, we're doing a show with David Newart, The Age of Insurrection on the Radical mm -hmm. Right, and then another one with Wesley Lowry on American White Lash and Cost of Progress and Racism. On the one hand, of course, America is a country of January 6th and Donald Trump and the KKK, blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, it's a country that allowed you to realize yourself, to come out as gay, to rebuild your life and your identity, and eventually even make peace with your family. What's your broad, where does America, shall we say, appear in your memoir? Is it the villain, a hero, the backdrop? It's, it's the hero. Um, you know, it's like you said, like I wouldn't be able to do this anywhere else. You know, this is the country that took me in and accepted me for who I am. You know, there are some, there's a lot of issues with, with this country. We get to criticize it. We find solutions in the parts of the world where I grew up you couldn't didn't criticize the government for for anything you would get tossed in jail for that um and I think there's something beautiful about being able to live in a democracy but we've also seen democracies fall very quickly we saw that happen in Turkey um January 6th terrified me it terrified me because I'd seen um governments topple um and I, I could not understand and wrap my head around why people weren't taking it so seriously. Like this was not a, uh, a joke. This was not a TV show. Like this, this jeopardized everything we hold sacred in this country. Um, but I, I, I do, I love it. Um, it's my home um, and I will do anything for it. We've had lots of shows actually about America and immigration. One with, um, Mexican, uh, uh, a young woman of Mexican descent, er Erica Sanchez, who suggests that being a 21st century American essentially means being a risk-taking, rebellious immigrant, as essentially mm -hmm. like yourself. Yeah. Uh, also with Michael Samen, a gay Peruvian immigrant who made a fortune in software. Um, and, and, and then with a young woman, Julissa Arce, on whether being American in the 21st century should or shouldn't require cultural um, assimilation. Where do you stand on that, uh, Luma? Should, um, should we be rethinking the idea of the melting pot? Uh, are you in the Julissa Arce camp when it comes to celebrating difference? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I believe in more of the tossed salad, right? Like you celebrate everyone for who they are. Everybody's got different strengths to bring in. You know, I am fiercely like Arab is a big part of my identity. My kids have Arab names. There's a lot of uh, contributions my background and my culture can bring and I need to embrace them. 
Um, when I first, you know, when my parents first cut me off, I was like, nope, I'm going to deny every part of that. And I just wasn't myself, you know, it's like I was rejecting a part of me that had rejected me, right? Um, but, and you have to be whole and there's lots of things that we can bring in and learn about each other and celebrate it. And it doesn't take away from anyone. I think that's what makes it such a strong country is because of its diversity, instead of seeing it as like, oh, it's a deficit to have all this and we should all be the same. It's like, no, like we all have unique strengths and skills and, and ways to live and be and create. And we should embrace that. We embrace it in every other place, except in our identities, right? Uh, finally, um, we did a show on Israel and the Arab world yesterday with Itamar Rabinovich, the former Israeli ambassador to the US. Um, in terms of changing the world you were originally from, what is what has living in America taught you? Where do you stand on democracy in the Middle East, in reinventing uh, the world uh, of uh, the, the Arab world? Uh, do, do you think that America, uh, that the Arab world can learn from America or does it need to reinvent itself, modernize itself according to other principles and traditions? Um, I mean, that's a heavy, heavy question. I don't know if I'm experienced enough to answer that. You must have thought of it. I, I, I'm not asking you as an I, expert. So, so I, I, you know, I was a, like when, you know, the, everything happened in Egypt and then, you know, Al mm. Algeria and Tunis and my mom is Syrian. Like I was like, all right, it's happening. It's finally happening. And then it was gone. Um, the Arab world would be unstoppable if it lived, if it was a democracy but it cannot adopt uh, Western democracy. It has to create it in its own lens that honors the different people and perspectives, but it has to be based on equality for everyone. And right now it's not there. I mean, there isn't like other than which other part of the Middle East has a true democracy. Um, so Turkey used to, but it doesn't anymore. <laughs>